0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, we have a, uh, this is going to be a two-part series. I'd be remiss if I didn't just say this quickly, since I guess I'm the representative kind of for the Nolan family. Uh, this was Megan's grandmother, my wife, if you don't know who we are, I am. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. see some new faces. Uh... And they just wanted me to thank everybody for the prayers and text messages and emails and all that stuff. So we appreciate that uh, very much. Uh, Well, this is going to be—we have a in the family. We we have that today and tomorrow, and then next week, her cousin, my her grandmother's uh, one of her grandsons is actually getting married. So it's a it's a this week is insane for the Nolan. So I. We'll be here, but uh, preparation-wise, I'm going to finish this series in two weeks. All right, so it'll be a mini-series. It may actually go longer than that. And I will tell you this as well. The last time I was up here, I mean, we're in the middle of the Lenten season, and Pastor Linda, you know, a lot of you had commented to her and sent her text messages and let the office know. or You talked to her after church about how wonderful last week was in, in giving words to really the cross and talking about death, burial, and resurrection freedom and letting go and how powerful that was Uh, I say that because the last time I was up here I did really straight biographies I did for two weeks and I've really decided and I have prayed about this I've had some time to and I really feel like just who I am and who God has called me to be and I'm not really trying to be different than anybody else that's around that preaches I've decided to try to I'm not mandating this it's not I'm not going to like force this every time But I'm going to try to, as best I can, in every sermon I preach, to tie in somebody from the past. A Christian saint. Nobody does it. And the reaction that many of you have, like, I want more. I want to learn more about our illustrious history. Christian history. There are so many saints. Men, women, black, white. You you name it from around the world that have impacted this movement that you're a part of. And it's important for us to know, and we are to, I I used that verse a couple of weeks ago, we are to imitate those that have gone on before us. Ultimately, everyone, we don't idolize these people, but these are individuals that laid down their lives and they made sacrifices and they followed the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It was all about Jesus and bringing in and ushering his glory. So that's my goal as a preacher. I'm not going to deviate from that. I have that historical bent. I'm kind of going to stay there. So with that, I would just like to pray. Lord, Lord, I pray on this spring ahead Sunday, 2017. And how cold it is outside. But Lord, I ask that that you would put a fire inside of City on a Hill Community Church. Lord, I ask for a wildfire. Because a wildfire is better than no fire. Lord, I ask that a fire would rage inside of every single heart here. Lord... You do what only you can do. Father, we as a people in this Lenten season are looking for your power. Lord, we're not just looking for more of your presence. Lord, we want to see your power. Father, we want to see miracles, Lord, in our lives. We don't just want to go through the motions and come to church for an hour and a half and leave every Sunday not changed. Father, you still hear us. You still have all of the power that you had 2,000 years ago when you raised up your son in that tomb. You have not lost any of your power to heal marriages in this place, to heal bodies in this place. Saints, I would say to you, if that's who you are and you walked in here today with some sort of infirmity, there's something wrong in your body, in your mind, in your spirit, and you're anxious and you're depressed, you don't have to live that way. By the blood of Jesus, Lord, I ask for your spirit, Lord, to just come in and invade, Lord. Move on your word. May this this word that we look at, your text, may it come fully alive. May you give all of us spiritual eyes to see. To see that the, the things of this world are temporal. Help us to focus on that which is eternal. The things that are unseen. Lord, help us to see there is a battle that is raging even right now. The forces of darkness do not want us to hear. And they don't want us to see. They want to keep us blind. Lord, we are going on the attack this Lenten season. We are going up to the gates of hell and we are scaling the walls. We're scaling the fence and we're saying, devil, enemy, no more. You and all your minions can no longer have your way in our families, in our homes and in our church. And if you're with me, say amen. There is a new sense of prayer that has been ushered in this place. There is a new sense of faith that is being ushered in this place. Make no mistake about it. We're here to see something happen every time we come. And the passion you hear inside of me has been bubbling up. It's bubbling up. And there's an expectancy in my spirit for all of us to see things. I don't care... With our physical eyes, what we're seeing. I'm telling you, things are about to be unleashed in the Spirit. Things are about to be unleashed in your lives. Do you believe it? I am not here to just deliver good sermons to you. I've done this long enough. I know how to preach. Pastor Linda knows how to preach. Without the power of God's Spirit moving on our lives, why are we here? Why are we here? And He has given us... He has given us this. You know what this is? This is His last will and testament. Do you know the word testament? It means will. God has willed for us that we would look at this. This is what He bequeathed to us as His children. These are His promises. Did you know there are over three thousand promises in the Bible? You didn't hear me. I said there are over three thousand promises in the Bible. How many promises did you stand on this past week for your life? I'm not even preaching my sermon yet. This is just, this is a warm up. This is the appetizer. How many promises did you stand on this week? How many promises did you go around in circles, just circling time and time again and say, no, this is your word. This is your promise. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm, I'm claiming this for my life. I'm not talking about the name it and claim it theology that you hear of that goes too far. But we can go too far the other way and we can deviate from the promises that are clearly laid out in scripture about what is our inheritance. Do you know what an inheritance is? I was thinking about it with my wife and her, her grandmother passing and what was in he- her kids inherit something from her. She lays out what her estate is and where everything is supposed to go. God clearly delineated, He clearly laid out what His estate was and what He wanted His children to have. And the problem is, we don't know enough about what his promises say. And we're not standing hard enough and strong enough. Joanne was so correct this morning when she said, you better stop praying. I don't care if you went up there 10 times. I don't care if you went up there 100 times. You're going to hear about prayer today. That's what my message is all about. It's all about prayer. It's all about standing. Oh, you thought I was going to come in and just give you one of those, hey fun sermons now i'm here to preach and i'm going to start with a story young children danced in the downpour like it was the first time they'd ever seen rain just follow the story right like it was the first time there were adults that were there right and they threw their heads back and they put their tongues out and they caught big raindrops from the sky And you may go, rain? Really? People did this? Well, I would say to you, when it hasn't rained in more than a year, that is an appropriate reaction to such, is it not? When raindrops fall from the sky, when you haven't seen them for a full year, they're like diamonds. This was the first century B.C. You see, this is a story, right? This story happened in the 1st century BC the century of the generation before Jesus would come into the world. And this is this is the prophets have all passed away at this point. It's been over 400 years and guess what friends? People did not see miracles. People didn't see anything and it looked as if God was dead. It looked as if God didn't care. About what was going on in people's lives. Oh, but there was one man, an eccentric sage, a wise soul, a Jewish scholar. And this is what he did one day with a six foot staff in his hand. He started to move around like a math compass in the sand and he moved around 90 degrees and then he went 180 degrees and then he went 270 degrees and then he went 360 degrees. And friends, he created this large circle because there was a man by the name of Honey who believed that even though the people he lived with didn't think that God really cared about them and that they could hear God. He believed God could hear him. You with me? He believed God could hear him. 400 years, there has been nothing. There have been no miracles. But here is this guy, and he gets down on his knees. And by the way, Josephus, the Jewish historian, mentions this guy He's known as Honi, the circle maker. You ask any Jewish scholar, any historian, and they'll tell you they know about the the, the legend of Honi, the circle maker. It is referred to as the day. And it was the day that the rains came. So let me tell you what this guy prayed. This is amazing. And here is this guy, Honi, and he prayed, Lord of the universe. I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. It's happened? A man got down on his knees and looked up to the heavens and prayed that and said, I will not move. And he was resolute, but yet he was humble. He was confident, but yet he was meek. He understood and knew who his God was in spite of everything that he saw out there, despite what everyone around him saw and said he believed. And then there it was, it actually started to rain and there was a sprinkle that was coming down. And that's why the kids started to dance. That's why adults got all excited because they hadn't seen the rain in over a year. And then he said, I pray for rain that would fill pits and taverns that not just a sprinkle oh can I have a drop or two of water I want a deluge I want a downpour I want all of it and you know what it says in the Talmud which is the oral tradition you have the written tradition which is the Torah and I don't want to get into a whole Jewish history thing but just Just simply, the Torah is the first five books, right? The written law. This is in the oral law, which stories that have been passed down from generation to generation, starting in the second century, and things were written down. That's what this story comes from. And he said, I pray for rain that would fill pits and caverns. It is written in the Talmud that there was no raindrop that was smaller than an egg in size. Not None smaller than an egg. And again, you may go you can go research this story for yourself if you don't believe me. It got so heavy, the deluge that people had to go to the temple Mount because there was flash flooding. So much rain. He then prays again, the prayer that would save a generation. He said, "Not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. And then like a well-proportioned sun shower, in August, the rain started to stop and it's, it went to a slower pace. But this is the prayer, friends, that saved a generation. And the earth has circled the sun more than 2,000 times since the day Honey the Circle Maker made his circle and he prayed that prayer. And I would say to us today God is looking for Circle Makers. God is looking for circle makers in City on a Hill Community Church. He's looking for us to circle his promises. Circle around, circle around, circle around. And don't you stop until you have received what his word says, what he promises you. Don't you stop. Because the enemy who is out to steal. Yes, he's out to steal your family. He's out to rob your finances. He's out to rob your health. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take you out. But you're not going to let him. Because the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. They don't take it by sitting home and watching TV on Wednesday night. The violence say, I'm not going to sit on my couch tonight and watch Netflix. I'm going to go to a prayer meeting and I'm going to get down on my knees. When was the last time you got down on your knees and you cut off circulation in your legs because you were praying to the Almighty? When's the last time that happened? There's a fire inside of me, friends that wants to come out because let me tell you I was on vacation about a month ago right? the February break whatever it was a couple of weeks and every time we go on vacation what happens? what happens? somebody gets sick first night we're there first night we're there in the middle of the night I can't sleep I go downstairs on the couch downstairs in a place I've never been to before and I said you know what? I start talking to myself and I say, how long are you going to let your head get kicked in? Every time you go away, the enemy does the same exact thing every single time. Are you ready to get violent? I picked up my Kindle and God just led me to FF Bosworth's Christ, the healer. Hundreds of thousands of people have been healed of various things just by reading this man's book. And he's not really the focus of this, but I have to tell you this. You want to talk about a guy's ministry in the early 20th century? F.F. Bosworth, who was a student of one of the fathers of the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s. And I've talked about some of the names, but I will again down the road. It's another amazing event that we're going to go into great detail on that at some point. This guy had a special knack. He had a special gift from God for praying for those that were deaf. They brought him one time in the 1920s to a school for the deaf. Every single... This is corroborated by, I mean, tons of sources. I do my homework, all right? I don't just give you stories. This is real history. In the 1920s, the whole school got shut down because every single kid that was there was healed. Every single one that was healed. So I, going back to my story, I said, you know what? I just started reading. I said, you know what? I just started standing on promises. And I stood, and I stood for over an hour. And I read, and I cried, and I prayed. And I said, this is not happening. Enemy, you are not ruining my vacation. And I woke up the next morning, and I wasn't 100%, but I was better than I usually was. I tore the labrum in my right hip last year. I didn't want to get surgery. They said, just do stretches, do rehabilitation. And then I had the same exact thing in my left hip. I was incapacitated, debilitated last year. I said, that is not happening to me on this vacation. Because I am a son of the living God, and I know what my inheritance is. And I stood, and I stood, and I stood, and we had the vacation of our lives. He still hears. He still hears. What are, we, what are we doing? What are we doing? We need to get violent. We need to take his promises and put them on our refrigerators. We need to put them on our computers. We need to put them somewhere at work. Put them on our dashboards in the car and stand. And having done all to stand, I'm going to keep standing. Where is the violence? Where's the tenacity? It's not just for me. It's for all of us. Every single one of us should be this tenacious, like Bosworth was, like so many other saints from the past, when it came, when it comes to, for us today, standing on His Word and standing on the promises that He gave us. It's important for us. So how about you with your bold prayers? You see, you know when the greatest moments of our lives are? Listen to this. The greatest moments of our lives are when human impotence, when I can't do anything, I can pray, but that intersects, human impotence intersects with divine omnipotence. When you look to the one who is divine and is all powerful, and he is omnipotent, and he is the one that put the stars and the sun in the sky, stop looking at your problem like it's so big. It's not that big. Look at it from 30,000 feet with the King of Kings who was at the right hand of God. You look at what the, happened in the atonement. Everything. Don't you listen to those people out there. I'm sorry that say that healing is not for today. That the promises are not for today. That the gifts are not for today. They're for today. They're for you. They're for us. And I'm just circling everything in prayer. you know what, even this week, and I'm embarrassed to tell you this, and you may be surprised by this, but again, I'm going to be totally transparent with you. One of the hardest battles in our marriage, Megan and I, you know what it is? It's prayer. Together. Well, plenty of prayer, separate, doing our own thing. But do you know the power that when you and your spouse... Come together, and you pray together, and you start circling promises together. That's when heavens move. That's when God says, who's that couple that's down there, two people? And they're standing on my word, and they're believing. Well, I'll tell you what, at 25 Fairway Drive, Middle Island, every single night now, you know what happens? We take the table. We go to battle, we put on our armor, and we stand, and we have specific promises that we write down because I will no longer sit back and get my head kicked in. How about you? Stand, 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 fight, fight, fight. Why do you think I get so. I I don't know, whatever it is for you, I say it over and over again. I know what Pastor Linda feels like now after saying things. She's like, I said this. I say it all the time. I'm like, man, this is you. You've turned into your mother. You say the same things. Oh, you do. You say the same things over and over again. But I, I apologize, Pastor Linda, because now I get it. But this is why I live with, this is why I have to live with people that live before me. I have to. I have to live and draw strength. I draw strength from His Word, but I also draw strength from people that have went on before us. You have to draw strength from that and believe, but I'm drawing strength from that table too. I'm drawing strength from it and knowing and believing it's for today. I'm so sick of the enemy robbing us, saints. I am so sick and tired of the nonsense. I am so sick and tired of people that are settling for less. I'm looking in the mirror at myself. We're settling for less than God has for us. And this led me to getting there. I don't know where I am. This just kind of led me to a story in the Bible that you all know well. Can we go there? Can we go to a story in the Bible now that you know pretty well? Maybe you don't know. It. You've never heard it before. That's okay. It's in Joshua six, and it's the walls of Jericho are coming down. How many of you you know the story? You know every you know every part of it. Remember who you're talking to. When I give you sermons, I try to give you a little history, give you a little back. How many of you, you know this story? Right? You know it. Some of you are like. Do I raise my hand? You are you really asking me to raise my hand right now? I'm only going to read you the first fifteen verses from. Um, I didn't give you the picture of Honey by the way. Look at me. I got so into it. There was the picture out of Honey doing the uh. What if you hey Steve, Steve, you, you look like you look like you're enjoying that picture. I'm gonna I'm gonna single you out. What would it be like? What really, what would it be like? What if we had I'm just thinking of this on the spot. Is that, that's I don't usually do that. I'm pretty meticulous and I know what I'm gonna do, right? I usually know what I'm gonna do, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, what if we actually I'm I'm gonna take my time a little bit today. What if we, what if we actually had a prayer challenge for the rest of the Lenten season? What if we circled promises for our own lives and for our kids? What, what if we do that? What if we really believe? What if we say, God, I'm going to test you in this. I'm going to believe you. Give, if I don't have the faith, Lord, I ask that you would give it to me. But I'm going to keep going over your promises and keep going over them. And I'm going to pre- keep praying them back to you. I'm going to keep praying the back because I have not because I ask not. We have to be more audacious with our prayers. I'm not talking about timid prayers. I'm not talking about people that say, you know what? I don't know. Is this, is this really for me? Is this God's will? God's will is his word. If his word says it's true, it's true and it's for you and it's for your life. All right, let's read the story. Here we go. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the lord so it was when joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the lord followed them the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priest continued blowing the trumpets Now, Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. So we had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew at the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. But, but, but. But it came to pass on the seventh day, the seventh day, that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day, only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priest blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Do you understand just when we stand on promises? Do we understand what's really happening? You don't fight for, you fight from what has already happened. What has already taken place. Stop sitting there and say, I'm fighting for. You're fighting from your stance as a child of God and who lives inside of you. It's His power. His power that lives and moves and has its being inside of us. So here we are. This great story. I should tell you this Jericho. I, we were in Jericho two summers ago. It was how, how hot was it that day? We're not you're not far from the Dead Sea. You're like, you just like you like melt in the sun. I sat there and I was like, people really lived when it was like this hot in the summer, it's like 120 degrees. Like, this is great. This is awesome. It's um, really an amazing place. Did you know, aside from Jerusalem, biblically speaking, the second most archaeological excavations are actually in this place, Jericho, where the story takes place. Did you know that the walls of Jericho even precede the Egyptian pyramids? Did you hear what I said? They precede them. Yes. Somebody went, oh, that's kind of neat. Absolutely is. And here is the geography. Looking at pictures online, I tried to pick one that... You would, um, all right, look at this. You have the lower wall and then you have the upper wall. This is what it looked like. This was a 320, scholars tell us, archaeologists tell us that this was about 320 acres. That's how big Jericho was. You had two walls. Now the lower wall that you see right here was about 10 to 12 feet high, 10 to 12 feet high. And then you have the upper wall that went around, look, it goes around the whole city, and they estimate that it was between 40 and 50 feet high, the second interior wall of Jericho. When we went, here is a picture of today, this is current day, we stood up where those people are standing, and you look down, these are pieces, archaeological digs, yes, some of you are going with your mouth open, is this really a piece of the wall of Jericho? Yes, it is. And if you're saying to yourself, I'm in church right now, you're a pastor, you're a Christian, how do I really know it's true? Well, I'm glad you came to church this morning, because I'll take you to the New York Times. I'll take you to some fake news. And here's what they said, here's what they said in 1990. This is 19. an article from 1990. You see, they had amazing excavations in 1907, early 1900s, and then again in the late 90s. 1907 and later on, but this is 1990, right? Here you go. Where I underline in red, when we compare the archaeological evidence at Jericho with the biblical narrative describing the Israelite destruction of Jericho, we find quite a quite remarkable agreement. Did you hear that? They didn't say there was any disparity. They said that they kind of go together. Because for a long time, people said, this is a myth. This is a fairy tale. Show me some real evidence that this event happened. So if you're somebody in here today and you have problems believing the Bible, I'm glad you came too because you know this is true. You can go do the research yourself and see the excavations that have taken place. I'm not some pastor that just stands up here and tells you to believe the Bible because I believe the Bible. I'm telling you to believe the Bible because of what history says and what archaeology says and how they corroborate each other. These are real events. The Bible is real. I'm going to take my kids one day to Israel and show them. You know the story that you read about Joshua and the walls of Jericho? It's real and you can look right down there. The pool of Bethesda. You know what? This is real. You can look right there. This is where he was crucified. This is where he was resurrected. This is where David was. This is where Solomon was. This is where... You can go through all of these events, friends. Real. The Bible is not a book of fairy tales. It is not a book of fairy tales. And you know what the problem is, too? When people ask us questions, we don't know anything. We don't know our history. Get me in a room with people that it's fairy tales. Oh yeah, what do you say to something like this? Oh, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Would you like me to show you more information? Steve's like, yeah, bring it. You're gonna have to leave a message, and I'm gonna get back to you later on that one, all right? <laughs> but you look at this story too. Look at this, right? No battering rams. You ever just follow this story? Just kind of look at it. If you never looked at it, this no battering rams. No weapons of mass destruction, volleys of, like, fire, you know, going, going over the walls. Why didn't they just, like, why did God just say, hey, Joshua, starve them out. Cut off their water supply. Just wait a little while. We'll take care of this. Walk around the city seven times? Why can't I just walk around once? He didn't say that, but that's probably what I would have said. Once isn't enough. Why can't I just walk around once? I just want to walk around one time. You want to boggle your mind? Ready for this? Conservative estimates say, let me ask you, this is fun, all right? If it was a bigger, not that it's really small, but I'm just, I don't know. How many people do you think were there that are marching around? Oh, I love this. How many people? Don't be afraid. 300,000? Who said that? What? 400,000. Anybody else? Three, three people, 3,000, 2 million. You sound like pretty confident, Bob, the way you're saying that. Do you know something? Are you Googling this as I'm preaching right now, brother? Is your phone out? <laughs> Anybody else? That's good enough. Okay. The conservative end. This is on the conservative end, on the conservative end, 400,000. That's what I've read. This is, listen, everyone differs on this, but a lot of scholars We'll say there were like two, three, four million people that are there now. What is this? Jericho is. it. You may not know the history behind this, which is pretty neat. Did you know this is a four hundred year old promise? They're going. They're on the eastern side of the Jordan. They're going. They're crossing the Jordan, and they're going into the Promised Land. Do you remember with Moses, Joshua? Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua, get up. You're next in line. You're taking them across the Jordan River. You're the leader. You're my guy. Let's go. And they go in, right? And they go into the promised land. This is the first place that they have to capture. This, remember from the promised land when they went in a while ago? Can you see why from the pictures I showed you? Why they thought they were grasshoppers in their sight? They thought they were grasshoppers because this was an impregnable fortress. What are we supposed to do at this place? How are we supposed to conquer these people? Forty years, they're in the wilderness. They finally come out. 400 years ago, God has promised to Abraham. This is a promise. Do you know what's so great? I thought about this too. If you, can I, I have to. All right, ready? Megan, no, don't get mad at me. Okay. You know, don't please. Don't <laughs> it's a refrigerator story in your house. All right, okay, in my house. I'll go to my house because my sister's telling me I'm not allowed. In my house, you'll get the point. How many of you, I'll go this way, because we're all in the same boat. How much food do you have in your house that is expired? Right? Megan went in our fridge the other day. There was like a bottle of salad dressing that was like 2014. Right? There was something older in Pastor Joe's, but I won't tell you what year it was. Okay? You know what's so interesting to me? We live in a world that everything has an expiration. Well, it's an expi- i got to look at what's the expiration date, right? You eat the, every day. You eat, I eat, I eat, what's the expiration date on this cheese? What's the expiration date on this Did you know that God's word has no expiration date? Did you hear what I said? There is no expiration date on his promises. They never, ever expire until the day that his feet hit the Mount of Olives. Friends, we can stand on his promises. They will never, ever expire. You should be shouting for joy. So this is, what, what about the soldiers? How foolish do you think they felt? How foolish would you feel? Yeah, we keep going. And I'm imagining, the Bible doesn't say this, but I'm imagining that those, those in Jericho, right? That, what are they doing? They're on top of the walls and they're like, look at these idiots. Look at them, how silly they are. And they just keep walking. Keep walking, guys. Just keep walking, doing a great job. Right, really, think about it. What was their reaction as they saw people? You probably know you don't think about that, but you have to. Put yourself in the story. What was it like as they're going? And you're the soldiers, and you're going, all right, I guess we just keep going, the women, the children, they're animals. I mean, think about this. This is going on for six days. And you're waking up every morning, you're going, yeah, is this the day? Get up, walk again. All right, I'm gonna walk again. Here we go. Just keep walking, walking the mile, boss, walking the mile, just keep walking, right? You just keep walking. This is crazy. Who thinks of a plan like this? God does. You see, God was testing them. And God tests us. Because you're going to hear about somebody in two weeks. And this is one area. I'm not, I don't want to tell you his name yet. Don't ask me. Because in the spirit, you're asking me. What's his name? I'm not telling you. But there was an individual. And he believed if you, you prayed once. And if you didn't get an answer to your prayer after, it was unbelief. If somebody came and, and wanted to have prayer again. Unbelief. Get away. Get out! Get away from me! It's really how the guy acted. That's how this guy acted. If you know your church history, some of you go, Oh, I think I know who you're talking about. Crazy. God asks us to be persistent. Because sometimes, I don't know, maybe this has never happened to you. I don't know what world you live in, but you can pray and you don't see things right away. The harvest isn't at the end of the service, the harvest is at the end of the age. You see, you pray for things, you may not see it now, but it will happen one day. Focus, James, focus. Back to the story. So on the seventh day, I'm thinking, right, it, their fate's ready to pop. It's palpable. Right, you with me? Just imagine you're there. And they're waiting, and this, is one, this isn't a commentary, you can't make this up. At three miles per hour, each mile and a half marched around the city, it took probably a half an hour. By nine o'clock in the morning, they began their final lap. There they go down the stretch in keeping with God's command. They hadn't said a word, right, for those six days, but imagine that, right? They're going and going. And by nine o'clock in the morning on that last day, so it's 13 laps in seven days. So there they are. And that last lap, I did a little research too. What is the loudest? noise that has ever been made at an outdoor football sta- at an outdoor event, I just use like football in America, and what was the decibel a decibel level, right, this is cool it was a few years ago in Kansas City there's a stadium, what's it called, Arrowhead Stadium alright, Arrowhead Stadium 2014, they're playing the defending champion Patriots, the Patriots always win, right, okay wish this- their stadium would fall down and <laughs> forgive me God, I shouldn't have said that alright, but there they are, right there they are, right? The people are there, and they, they were testing this. Four, three, two, one. Capacity, crowd on hand, crazy, right? Everybody's in a frenzy. 142 decibels. As l- louder than a jet engine, so you, you couldn't hear. If we were right next to each other to that you couldn't hear me, I couldn't hear you. You can say whatever, no one would have heard you. And it was on par with a rock concert, peak noise, rock concert, like like heavy metal, like you know, you're at a crazy, none of you have ever been to a, like, you don't even know what heavy metal probably is, but um, uh, yeah, yeah, so a heavy metal concert, right? That's a, that's how loud it was. Now, how many people, you, my cousin, how many people do you think were at that stadium? All right, about a, all right, about a hundred, right? Give or take about a hundred thousand. What did I tell you about the amount of people that are at Jericho? That's what I'm telling you. This is the loudest noise. This is the loudest noise by a group of people, I think, in my estimation, in the history of the world, that all of these people, I cried all week thinking about it when I read the text, that all these people, just say, go conservative. There are 2 million people. You see men, and you see women, and you see children, and they're crying out. When Joshua says, shout, it's shout, Jehovah! And a sound that reverberated on the Richter scale. Yeah, Tom in Alabama, you hear me? That reverberated everywhere. Walls fall down. Go in and take what's yours now. Go take it. What do you think? Those? What do you think the enemy thought when they saw the walls come down? This this fortress will never fade away. This. There's no way they'll be able to scale these walls. It's impenetrable. They'll never take us over. Oh, but God said, you foolish people. The Israelites are my chosen people. And I made a promise 400 years ago. And my promises never, ever expire. And they rushed in. What's your Jericho? Can I ask you this morning? What's your Jericho? Jericho. Think about it for a second. What's your Jericho? What are you asking God for? What are you circling? Where are you drawing circles? Something that originated here in in Jericho, originated with Abraham. What are you drawing circles around? What is the thing that you are circling? What do you need today? I can't get into it now, but when you go to the New Testament, and Pastor Linda talked about this at, at uh, the, the Lent, uh, the, uh, Ash Wednesday. Thank you, Ash Wednesday. All right, the Ash Wednesday meeting, you talked about blind Bartimaeus. Because that was another miracle that took place in Jericho. Do you remember the blind guy? And he's with his friends. and They're on the side of the road different accounts in the Gospels, right? And they cry out. And the word in Greek is kratso, which means to shriek like a bird. And I think I connected. To, I don't have time to connect them fully here today. But it's pretty amazing. In the same place, and you see a couple of people. And they cry out. And they shriek with a shriek like an animal. And people are, shut up. What are you doing, man? Sit down. You're blind. Get out of here. You're not supposed to be here. The Messiah's coming through. He doesn't have time for you. And then the Messiah stops. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And this morning he says the same thing to us. What do you want me to do for you? What's your Jericho? What are you circling around? I could end the sermon right here. I'm not. I could end the sermon right here. What did I tell you I was going to do? How about we go into the life of a saint who is, he is the circle maker. You want to meet the circle maker this morning? I'm going to give you a little bio now. Some of you are glazed over. Some of you are like, I don't know if I want to listen to this. Come on, push through, push through. Born in 1805, let me give you a picture of him. This is George Mueller. How many of you know the name George Mueller? Some of you do. You've heard the name before. You know what's amazing? Pastor Linda and I were talking about it the other day. How, you look at where, where Europe is today in terms of Christianity, and how far, how godless Europe really is, much of Europe, and you think about England, and you think about all the saints that came, the Wesleys and the Muellers and the uh, Whitfields. I mean, so many people came from there. And you look at the foundation of our faith, and you look at where they are today. It's crazy. This man was born in the early 1800s. He's born in 1805. He lived to the ripe old age of 92 years old. To live in the 19th century and to live to be 92 years old, he's an anomaly. This is an aberration. It didn't happen a lot. He saw the Second Great Awakening of the mid-1800s. Have I talked about the Second Great Awakening yet? No, I haven't. I did the first, but you're going to get the second at some point. He worked with D.L. Moody, which some of you may know that name. We'll talk about him. Preached for Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers. And inspired the ministry of the faith of Hudson Taylor. He inspired Hudson Taylor. He's another name. He's going to be in the near future, Hudson Taylor. He spent most of his life in Bristol, England, and pastored the same church for 56 years. 56 years. When he was 14 years old, his mom died. His father was an unbeliever. His father was not a Christian. His mom died at 14 years old. The only thing he writes, I've read his autobiography. I've read a couple of biographies about his life. The only thing that we know, the only thing he ever wrote was that he was in a drunken stupor when his mom was dying. He really didn't care because he didn't have a great relationship with her. At 16 years old, self-professed, he said he was a thief. He said he was a liar and he was put in jail. 16 years old, put in jail. Dad goes to the jail, bails him out. He says, you know what? This is wild, right? Think about this. He says, you know what I'm going to do with you? I'm going to send you to divinity school. Sends the kid to divinity school. That's where you're going to go. Make a good living for yourself. You need to straighten yourself out. Mueller would say when he went to the school, of the 900 students that were there, watch this, of the 900, he said maybe nine of them fear the Lord. Maybe nine. Maybe nine. He eventually, now I'm going quicker because usually I spend more time on the biographies. I, I didn't today, but uh, so I'm going to speed up a little bit. He's converted when he's 20 years old. He's at a Bible study. They, uh, they, you know, they prayed, they uh, read a sermon together. They, they studied the Bible, right? And this is what he said at the end of it. Something happened. So this is, you remember Augustine, when I did the, the bio on Augustine? And that, that great day and one of the greatest days in church history. This is a little different. I mean, something happens, but it's not as, ah, where you like left and go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. He says, it was to me as if I had found something after which I'd been seeking all my life long. I immediately wished to go. The whole group made a deep impression on me. I was happy though. If I had been asked why I was happy, I could not have clearly explained it. I have not the least doubt that on that evening, God began a work of grace in me. Did you hear that? He began. And he who begins a good work in you, saints, at City on a Hill Community Church, will be faithful to complete it. Did you hear what I just said? What the word of God says? He will be faithful to complete it in your life. That evening, he says, was the turning point in his life. This dude was crazy! read the Bible 200 times, cover to cover, and I'm not saying, listen, people, some, you can read the Bible a million times, it doesn't mean you're going to be transformed, but this guy clearly was transformed. hundred, he says, estimates hundred of the 200 were on his knees. How he prayed the Bible, similar like a, a John Wesley. At 28 years old, this is 1834, he gets involved in orphan ministry, and this is where he becomes famous, he becomes, he gets international fame. You see, he's in Bristol, England, and he's he's looking around the streets, and he sees all of these homeless kids, and he says, God, my heart, because it, 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 he's 28, right? He's saved at 20. Things start to happen. He really becomes a disciple. He doesn't just become somebody that says, you know what, I'm a Christian. He says, I'm really going to be a follower. I'm really going to be a disciple. He has two cents to his name. He writes about his autobiography. I had two pence in my pocket, two pennies. He could have said, like many of us do, you know what? God, I'd love to do something for these kids, but I don't have any money. What am I supposed to do? And if that man said that, guess what? You're going to be. This is staggering. In his lifetime, he took care of ten thousand twenty-four orphans. Ten thousand twenty-four orphans. He built five large orphan houses, and get this: when he started in thirty-four. There were accommodations for only 3,600 orphans in all of England, and twice that many children under eight were in prison. I mean, think about the time in which this guy is living in. And here is this man that comes on the scene. He, w- he was married twice. He was married to his first wife for 39 years. He delivered her eulogy. He delivers the sermon for his first wife. She bore him four kids. Two of them were stillborn. Two! Out of the four are stillborn. We look at our problems. and we, Oh man, look at how bad I have it. I think almost every saint I study, I see the devastation that, 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 that they're hit with in their life in some way. Whether it's in body, whether it's their family, losing people. It's amazing. But this guy said, I will not stop. I'm going to stay in the race and I'm going to keep going. And we're supposed to do the same thing. He was a man of faith and miracles. He is one of the greatest prayer warriors in the history of the church. And get this. All right, stay with me. This is the best part now. Best part of the sermon. He he testified that in his lifetime, and you can go to Bristol, England. There's actually, I'd love to go there at some point in my life. And Megan wants to go to England so bad. She wants to go to London and see the Shakespeare stuff. I don't care about Shakespeare. I care about Shakespeare. Shakespeare lay his life down for the church. Shakespeare lays, I don't, was Shakespeare even a Christian? right? Pastor Linda, was he even a Christian? Man, gosh, we'll we'll talk about that later. He testified that in his lifetime. Get this, ready? 30,000 specific prayers were answered years before he died, about the middle of his career. He said 5,000 of his definite prayers had been answered on the day of his asking. He kept notebooks. You can go to Bristol, England today. You can go to the Mueller Museum. And guess what you see when you go in there? You can see his prayer books. And every prayer had two pages. On one page, he would write out the prayer, and he'd put the date. On the next page, it would be blank until that prayer was answered. And this man had volumes of books, and he believed that he wasn't special, that anybody could stand on God's promises. He got mad when people said, you have the gift of faith, brother. And he'd say, no, 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 this gift is for everyone. Anyone in the church can do this. I'm a simple man. Anybody can do this. And the same goes for today. This is what he said. I have to give you a couple of quotes before you leave. He said, I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk about, when I lie down and when I rise up. And the answers are always coming. Thousands and ten thousands of times have my prayers been answered. When once I am persuaded that a thing is right and for the glory of God, I go on praying for it until the answer comes. I never give up. Did you hear that? I never give up let not Satan deceive you during those faith-wrenching days in making you think you could not have the same faith, but that is only for persons situated as I am. It's for everyone. And some of you may know that. I'll give you a couple of stories now. Ready? About this guy to show you. One is just like, I'm always in awe. I read it all the time. I'm like, this is, how did this happen? Well, one is, he had five friends who were not Christians. They prayed. He said, I'm going to pray every single day. You have somebody in your life that you, you hope comes to Christ? Come on, think about it. You have somebody When's the last time you started circling a promise and prayed for that person every single day? Test him. Test his promises. He's faithful, right? Five friends. Two of them got became Christians within five years. The next two, seven years after that, there was one friend left. He never stopped praying. For the next 50 years, he kept praying. Guess what? He died At that point, the last one wasn't a Christian. He became a Christian after. You and I may not see things happen in our lifetime, but that does not mean that we stop praying. Do you understand that the transcripts of our prayers become the story of our life? Did you get that? Our transcripts, everything that we're doing, we're praying. I'm doing this on my phone. I'm just throwing this out there to you. I've been so moved by him. And I'm not trying to replicate and be somebody. But I'll tell you what. There's a lot to that. We're praying for this. And Megan and I, we're praying for certain things with Nolan. And we're praying for certain things with Jameson. And we're praying with certain things over our health. And I'm writing down exactly what we're praying and when we're praying them. And I think, you know what? We should do that. You all should do that. Why not? Little experiment. How about it? You want a story? You want a good one? He's on his way to speak in Quebec. He's got an engagement there, right? He's on the deck of a ship that's gonna carry him to his destination, and there's really bad fog. I mean, it's awful. He informs the captain, Captain, I need to be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. I I have to be there, have to be there. And with that, the captain says, and this is the captain retelling the story. He says, sorry, Mr. Mueller, this is impossible. He says, so Mueller quips back to him and he says, He says, are you kidding me? It's not the density of the fog that I care about, but I'm counting on the living God who controls every circumstance of life. Here's this. I have never broken an engagement in 57 years. Let us go down into the chart room and pray. Now, if you're the captain, you're like, this guy's a little crazy. He's a little nuts. All right, buddy, you want to go down? All right, let's go, let's go. Well, really, think about what this guy's What is he thinking at that point? So they go down to the room. I'm I'm giving you exactly what he said. So the guy says, all right, he, he prays. And the man, the captain says, it was like one of the most simple prayers he'd ever heard before. So simple, right? And, and then he goes to pray and Mueller takes his hand and he puts it on his shoulder. And he says this, as you do not believe he will answer. And as I believe he has, there is no need for you, whatever for you are going to pray about. Oh my gosh. He looked at him and uh, uh, Mueller looked at him and said, captain, captain. I have known my Lord for 57 years. Look, look, this is the best. When he says, I have never failed to get an audience with the king. You want me to take that quote? I'll pass that along this week. I didn't put it up there, but you should, you should, yeah, you should focus on that. That's a good one. I've never failed to get an audience with the king. I have to stop though for a second. Do you have an audience with the king? You have to know first and foremost, he is for you. Do you understand that God is for you? He is for you. He's waiting for us to stand. He's waiting. What, are they going to? Are they going to ask me? Hello, I'm here. Hello, I can handle the situation. You can't, but I can. How about this one? This one's even crazier, right? This is crazy. He's at one of the orphan houses. He had five of them, and one of the heads of the orphan houses that he just happened to be in on this day, Mr. Mueller, comes, to Mr. Mueller. The children are all in the dining hall. We have no food. There's no food. He's for a second, he says, "Okay, leave the children in there." He goes inside, right? Sees all the kids. Good morning. Good morning. Let's pray before we eat. No food. He prays, finishes. He then waits a couple of minutes. There is a knock on the door. It's the local baker. Mr. Mueller, I don't know what to tell you, but I've been up since three in the morning and God told me I'm supposed to make bread. I'm supposed to make rolls and stuff for, for the children. I don't know, so he, he, here, here's everything I have. They bring the bread inside. This is a true story. corroborated again. Hundreds of people corroborate this, all right? And after that, the milkman comes by and he just happens to break down in front of the same orphanage on the same exact day. And he comes inside and says... I can't transport this milk. I have a lot of it. Could you use it? You see, with God, there are no coincidences. We think there are, but there aren't. When are we going to be tenacious? I'm believing this length of crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Crazy I am a little crazy, but to be totally honest with you, really, and and I feel like I say this a lot too, but I'm really not here to to entertain you or just give you good sermons. I really don't care about that. I really care that we see the power of God move in this place. Can I show you, can I show you what Mueller said? This is what he said. This is my favorite, this is what he said in a biography written about it, the chief passion and unifying A of Mueller's ministry, live a life and lead a ministry in a way that proves God is real, God is trust- trustworthy and God answers prayer. How about being fervent in prayer? Can I get one more, one more and I'm, I'm just I'm done. I'm closing up. It is not enough to begin to pray. <laughs> nor to pray right. You think you have to have just pray and talk to him. Nor is it enough to continue for a time to pray, but we must patiently, believingly continue in prayer until we obtain an answer. And further, we have not only to continue in prayer unto the end, but we have also to believe that God does hear us. Music team, you can come up and will answer our prayers. Most frequently, we will fail in not continuing in prayer until the blessing is obtained and in not expecting the blessing. We have not because we ask not. And instead of making circles, friends, you know what we're doing? We're making blanks because we're not doing anything. That place over there on a daily on a weekly basis should be flooded. In, in our cars, when we're going to work, when we're home with our kids. I started taking the table with my oldest. But Jay- Nolan doesn't he doesn't know what's going on. But my oldest does, and he's seven years old, and we're going to the table. And he says, Daddy, I want to be tall. I want to be tall. I'm the shortest kid in my class. I'm the shortest kid. Let's go to the table. Let's go. Tears. Power right here. What's going to happen one day when we die? And we... we I, I, I think... I, I don't know. I, I'm not going there. I can't. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. I won't. I won't go there. I want to, but I won't. No. I'm just. I always think about it all the time about just regret. I just overthinks that we didn't pray, right? You don't need a, You don't need a doctorate. You don't need a degree in prayer. You can start. But you can just play low key or whatever. You don't just pray. Talk to him. It's a conversation. It's a dialogue. Pick up a great book. Read the Bible. Pick up another book. John is Moving Mountains. You have mountains in your life? You want mountains moved in your life? What's going to happen? We think it's just going to happen by osmosis. Pray, pray, pray. There's nothing that's remarkable about us. You have pastors. I want people, man. I want God. I want Him. And when I'm going around and I'm in school, right, and I'm in school, I'm praying for kids. I had a kid last night that's talking to me. He's, he's sending me these remind messages. We have this these apps. And some you teachers in here, you know. And the kids can contact you if they have a question or whatever. So the kid contacts me. And he's talking about death. And I'm going, what the heck is this? Kid's been to my church. He's been to our church. He's been in here. But he knows there's something. Mr. Lecce, he's asking me these questions. I'm just praying for him. That's why God put me there. When kids walk in the door, I don't know how far they I'm praying for them. I'm in stopping chapter today. I'm just praying for people. I see somebody looks down and out. I'm just praying for them. I'm praying circles around everybody and everything as I move around. Wherever I go. That's what I want. That's all I want. I want to be so connected to the master. So connected everything that I'm just looking at him. Lord, live through me. Lord, use me today. George Muir, the last thing, I promise. When he died, tens of thousands of people reverently stood along the route of the simple procession. Men left their workshops and offices. Women left their elegant homes or humble kitchens. All seeking to pay a last token of respect. A thousand children gathered for his service at orphan house number three. They had now, for a second time, lost a father. 10,024 lives. They estimate that over 100,000, because of his influence, as you move through the century in other places, were saved because of this guy starting it in England. A simple man that saw a need. What are you looking for as you come to the table today? You know what I'm sick of? I'm sick of sitting on the front row sometimes. And I'm sick of, even myself, how timid I am when I come up here. Oh, okay, I'll take it. What did you say? Oh, that's nice. Okay. And we go back to our seats. No, really, we go back to our seats. And then we sit down. Do you understand what he gave us? Do you understand the power that's at this table? Do you understand the power that's here in the length season for us? This isn't a one-time sermon. This is not a series. This is to be a way of life. A way of life. How about we start challenging each other? What are you circling around? How about we, that becomes part of our lingo? Pastor Linda, is that alright? Good. What are we? No, really. What if you start saying that? Challenge each other. Stop talking about the weather. Cares about snowmageddon. What, what, can I pray for? You? What are you praying for? Let's circle it right now together. Let's go. Let's go. Let's take the table together. Let's pray around it. Let's believe. I love preaching when I have something to say. You don't always have something to say. Lord, Lord, I'm overcome with thankfulness. I'm overcome with gratitude that we have in our possession your last will and testament. Lord, I thank you that we have over 3,000 promises to stand on. Lord, I thank you that even... As we heard this message today, Lord, I thank you that by the power of your Spirit, you're building faith in this place. Lord, I pray that we would have the simple faith that George Mueller had, that we would really take you at your word. Lord, make us serious. These are serious times. Make us serious and hunger for more of you. Lord, I want a greater desire. Lord, I want more of you. I want more. Give it to me. Rock my world. Rock our world. I want to see miracles, Lord. Lord, I want to see bodies healed in this place. Lord, I want to see marriages restored. I want to see prodigal sons coming in. I want to see people get discipled. May it be, Lord. May it be, Lord, as we just come here, Lord, I just get on one knee, on bended knee, and I look up, Lord, and I come in the same way that that guy Honi did, the circle maker, Lord. Make us circle makers. Put us on our knees. May your spirit and your power flow from heaven down to us. Simple people, Lord. We need you desperately. Humble us, Father. Humble us, put us on our knees. Make make us turn, Lord, from our evil, sinful ways. Because we know that we'll hear from you, we'll hear from heaven. But we want to turn to you. So you don't come up here timid today. Don't come up to this table if you're timid. I'm telling you, don't go through the motions. Don't waste your time. We don't say that here. I'm sorry. Don't just come up here to take communion. Don't just come up and do it. You come up here if you want something. What's your Jericho? What do you want to circle around? You circle around it starting here. Ushers. It's time to circle. It's time to go around in circles, friends. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. He is a rewarder of those that casually seek Him. No, diligently seek Him. Diligence. Steadfastness. Perseverance. Tenacity. This is the day for us, friends. The Apostle Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Timothy... Ruth, Esther, they're looking at us today. Man, I'd give anything to live in that day. I'd give anything to live in that day where they are. Those people are. This is our time. This is the time to live. We don't get this back. It's our one and only life. This is it. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.